Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thank you for joining us. We have a great guest today, improviser and actor from Veep Lodge 49, At Home with Amy Sedaris, and more, Dave Pesquese. This is another guest who I've wanted to have on since the very beginning. He was a dream guest, and rightly so. This is our longest interview, hence this being a longer episode than usual. I imagine many of you are listening for the first time. Welcome. Every episode is available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And for you improvisers, we have a bunch of improv-focused episodes that we compiled in a post on our website, thereitispod.com. So go check those out and catch up. Lots of amazing improvisers have been on. We've had Jimmy Corain, Will Hines, Susan Messing, so many more, including Sharna Halpern, who played a role in getting today's guest. He graciously joined us from Chicago to talk about improv theory, his career, and more. Here's my chat with Dave Pesquese. I know from just hearing about you and reading about you that you quit your day job at one point to focus on comedy. This was in the 80s, the mid-80s, right? Yes. And and so you started doing stand-up. Was the purpose to try to make a living off of stand-up and be able to focus on comedy as an art form wholeheartedly? Or was it just that you didn't like the job you were in and needed a different change of pace? I had a great job. It was I was buying real estate for a small group of investors, buying mm-hmm. and managing commercial real estate pretty much by myself. Um, they let me... It was... And I, I, one day at work, I thought, oh, man, this is a fantastic job for someone who wants it. Um, and that just wasn't me. I'm like, oh, the, I, I, you can't get a better job of this kind of job. It was, it was really a great job. They were really good to me. And, and uh, I just didn't – I just never thought that entertainment was a possibility as a livelihood. I mean, right. I didn't. Yeah. Grow, I didn't grow up that way. That was beyond something that was possible. So, mm-hmm. I never even really considered it. But at that moment, I thought, well, I. I also got some great advice from a a guy that I worked construction with, this Italian guy, mm-hmm. and he said, he asked me, and I I kind of had the dream of it was never a real thing, but like, what would you do if you could do anything? I, I'd be a comedian, try to be a comedian. This is before I did anything. And he said, well, you got to try. Otherwise, you'll always wonder. Right. Yeah, that's that's some of the best advice people can get. And that stayed with me. I didn't act on it for quite some time, but it but it definitely stayed with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I ended up, it was a lot of stuff going on at that time. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I didn't want to be at that job. And then I started, you know, being pretty irresponsible at the job and so they they made it real easy for us to part ways <laughs> I see, yes. uh, and so when i got shit canned i ended up just going and living on a friend's floor right. and working 
working construction and uh, started doing stand-up um, and doing uh, improv workshops with mm-hmm. Dell. Right. Just, and you, by this point, you already knew Joel Murray. And yes. How long from when you met Joel? Well, did you meet when you were in college? We did. We met in okay. college. We met. A, we both did a study abroad program and we met there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up being roommates in Rome. Um, and when we got back, we we neither of us had done anything. Mm-hmm. I think Joel had done some high school plays, but I'd never done anything. Right. I, 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 no, that's not true. I had done some uh, improv workshops while I was in college, um, and I really enjoyed it. But I then I stopped, and then that was it. Um, but I never did any. Anyway, any, uh, so you didn't the, do any shows. You weren't you weren't a no. stage performer. No, I, we did mm. one show at the end of that. That was, you know, our graduation show, right? Which was actually on stage, the main stage at Second City on a Sunday afternoon. Okay, yeah. And that was really a thrill because I yeah. knew I knew what was going on there. I'd never seen a show there, however. Oh, interesting. I grew up in the Chicago area, um, and I'd always heard about Second City, but I never saw Second City. Not until, so Joel and I went, I went to my first show with Joel. And of course he'd been going for a long time. Right. His, brother his brothers. There. Yeah. Um, so we ended up coming back and, and stayed in touch and started doing a little weird stuff. And then he got a call from one of his brothers. that said, this Dell close guy is starting teaching again mm-hmm. and you should go find him and go do that. And so I, was the beneficiary of that advice because Joel told me and we went together. Right, yeah, yeah. And it was just so the audience knows if any, if any non-comedy nerds are listening, that brother is Bill Murray. Um, or it, br- or it could have been Brian Doyle Murray, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> you still do stand up every once in a while, don't you? I do. So we went over and did, did we did Dell's class and we just happened, those workshops that he was doing, we just happened to fall in that's when he started working and developing the Herald as a performance right. piece. So there wasn't a Herald before, before that. Before that, yeah. I knew that you were of that first uh, group to, to try to study that. And uh, so you were doing all of this, all this comedy at the same time, the, the stand-up and... Right. And while um, I was doing that, then I started to go do stand-up. And stand-up was kind of just a, a way to make a couple bucks. Right. I was house MC at the Chicago Comedy Showcase. And so I actually made a little money there, and and it was really to get better. At, I mean, I always, I thought I I would love to be a great stand-up. I don't. Have <laughs> um, what is your approach? I've never seen you do stand-up. So what is your approach? Are, are you an observational comic, or what do you go for? I guess it's a weird mix. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I love a good dick joke. Um, <laughs> And and also happy to talk about uh, God or death. Um, so it's we it's a, it's an odd mm-hmm. you know it's not it's a it's an odd audience that would appreciate all those different things. <laughs> but I get what you mean. Let's uh, talk a little bit about Dell here because as I it's you know we've been mentioning you were of that first group to start learning the Herald and him trying to figure out what the Herald is. But there's now there's this mythos about Dell, you know, that's what people like me who never got to meet him 
uh, sort of see it as is because we are hearing all these stories. But when you started studying under Dell, I mean, you'd heard about it, about him from Joel's brother, but did, no, did he I have didn't know about Dell? <clears throat> okay. So you yeah, just I, knew to go take classes. You didn't hear. Yeah, I was just going with Dell because that was guy, what Joel was saying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That advice. Joel so, got that advice and it meant something to him. I didn't know enough to be, I should have been more scared. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, what was his reputation for you? Like, was there any sort of reputation that preceded this meeting of him? Not at that moment. Once I got there, I started learning more about him. I'm like, oh, fuck. And then also you hang around the guy and he's, you know. Got this presence. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's some uh, nasty parts of that personality as well. But Mm -hmm. uh, he he was always great to me. Right. I've heard you mention that, and I've also heard many people talk about them kind of getting a different Dell. Like Tina Fey right. said when she was studying, he had it was a much tamer Dell at that point. Yeah, and also I know some people that have studied with him didn't get anything out of it. They, apparently they got him at a time where he wasn't all that interested, but I just really lucked out. It was, it was a time when he was really interested in mm-hmm. trying to figure out this Harold thing. And we were all really interested in it too. And there was right. no, there was no other reason to be there. It was a, you know, at that point, like some, something like long form improvisation did not exist. So that's not a stepping stone to shit. There's, you right. know, it's a guaranteed dead end. So it, it, uh, attracted a certain, uh, kind of person, you know, that, yeah. uh, and somebody would for it, there's no, there's no other reason to be there. Right. So you went into that not really starstruck with him, you know, you, no. <laughs> you and so when you eventually go to start working with him cuz you did do a play with him and you did a two-person show with him, how was that transition from student to I guess peer or at least just someone who's, you know, coworker working with him? Yeah, it was, you know, it it, it was a uh, that took a few years and I kind of, again, something happened that I just kind of lucked out that, so we were working with Dell and we had our own, uh, group outside of improv Olympic and we went down the street and it wasn't even called that then, but we went down the street and we had our own little show and second city came and hired everybody but me for that show. So I stayed with Dell for another, I don't know, 10 months or something like that. And I would not have chosen that. That was a real kick in the nuts at the mm-hmm. time. But I've learned far more from Dell in those eight months than I think those guys learned from being in the touring company at Second City. I eventually did do the touring company for a little while. Um, and, you know, it's um, other than putting, I, I just think I, 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 I would not have chosen it, and today I would not choose that. I would think that, well, I'd want to do this other thing, but it turned out to be a great thing. So I got to know Dell a lot better during that time, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we ended up being in a pl- – my very first play was with him, and we spent a lot of time together during that, and that's when we came up with the other show that we did. And we, you know, we just ended up – we spent a lot of time together. And one of the reasons is – Chicago is one of those places that everybody kind of leaves. Yeah. And everybody left. Everybody left. So it was, you know. They went out to my, L.A. Yeah, of my or New York. Of my gang, I was the only one left. Mm. Um, Who were some of those people in your gang? Um, that was uh, Chris Barnes, Joel Murray, uh, J.J. 
John Marshall Jones is his name. Uh, uh, Mark Beltzman, uh, Howard Johnson, who's still here in, in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a writer. Um, uh, Honor Finnegan, Becky Claus, John Judd, who's an actor here in town, not an improviser anymore. Uh, Brian Crane, Steve Burrows. Um, and then after us, that was the first group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Bill Russell was part of that too. Um, Judy Nielsen. And after that first group, there was another gang that came in, and that was uh, names that you're going to be more familiar with. Uh, <laughs> like with Neil Flynn and exactly. Chris Flynn, Farley. Farley, Finn, Keckner, Coleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, McKay, I, I guess Adam McKay may have been that McKay, area. right, exactly. Um, Ali Farnakian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so they came in a, a little after us. Uh, Brian Stack, Miriam Tolan, uh, Tina and Rachel. Uh, mm-hmm. or, you know what? I, and I guess Armando would have been around at that time. Armando, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, just a just a whole. I'm forgetting a, a lot of them, but though that was the gang that I think you'd be more familiar with. <laughs> Who were the improvisers you looked up to when you were starting out in those first couple few years? Well, um, there was – so I, I became familiar with some people just from the scripts at Second City and the old tapes. And there was some guys back then that I really uh, – there was a guy named Bruce Jarko mm-hmm. who was one of my idols in that. But I got to watch Castellaneta and Jim Fay, um, and the cast was Farley and – I mean, not Farley, uh, Haggerty and um, Kapalos, Richard Kind, um, uh, Megan Fay, mm-hmm. Isabella Hoffman. Uh, it, it, there were some really great folks that we just got to watch every single night because the improv sets were free. And that's what we'd do. We'd go watch them improvise. And they were outstanding. What made them stand out for you? Like, what sort of characteristics? Like, I particularly like grounded work uh, and and like realism. What sort of things? Yes, there's do you that. Look for? Uh, exactly that. Um, but also an intelligence mm. that um, these guys are just. There's a reference level of not pop culture, but mm-hmm. you know they're talking about things that are of interest to me, mm-hmm. and. You know, because most of the time when you go to a stand-up club, you don't hear people talking about Greek myth, you know. Um, but uh, I, I like that kind of stuff. And these guys and ladies were talking about it um, and making it funny. Yeah. And they were talking about different things. And it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't pol- it wasn't specifically political, you know, not specific to a person, mm-hmm. but making fun of politicians or politics mm-hmm. um, rather than just making fun of one individual and and also the social commentary just the um, that's what I always liked about it mm. and wow. uh, and they were real smart they were not ashamed of being smart I yeah. find out once I get there that the that the original folks are all just so brilliant and bright I wish I was smarter. <laughs> okay, so yeah, sure. I so wish many I was of the people that I, I admire are people like that, like what you're describing. It's just like, I don't know how to be as smart as Adam McKay. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, 
I don't know how to do that. No. <laughs> what did you struggle with early on as an improviser? Well, that was one of the reasons that I continued to do stand-up is so I'd just be a little more comfortable on stage. Ah. So there was that because it was all brand, it was all foreign to me. I'd never been on stage. Mm. So it was just getting comfortable on stage. When you yeah. were learning from Dell in those early years and trying to figure out, you know, what this Herald is even, what were the things you were, you were focusing on as a group to sort of go further with improv? Well, it's interesting because I, I think, you know, I got different things out of it than other people got out of it. Or I, the, the focus that I, what I thought was the focus mm-hmm. isn't what other people thought were the focus, was the focus, I think. Because mm-hmm. I've been in classes that other people are teaching that I was, that I started with. And mm-hmm. they'd say things like, well, as Dell used to say, and then they'd say something. And not only did I not hear Dell say that, um, <laughs> I what I understand Dell to have said he couldn't have said this right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the opposite of what I understood him <laughs> to be saying. So, um, so I don't know. But m- for me, it was always the focus of the two-person scene, mm-hmm. um, and the the idea that play at the top of your intelligence. Um, the audience is way smarter than you. Um, so you don't have to play down to them, um, be genuine and honest, respond honestly and laughs will or won't happen. You don't do not ever, you know, try to make jokes. Mm -hmm. Um, and so all that stuff is still the things, those are the things that interest me today and, uh, you know, still exploring those exact same things. Yeah. You you alluded a few minutes ago to the type of people that improv attracted uh, in that early time. That was a time when people did improv for improv. It wasn't a means to an end. And why do you think that is? Uh, you know, because you all were you did know that Harold Ramis and Bill Murray went from being improvisers to SNL or SCTV and then eventually became Ghostbusters, but yet you all were still focusing on the art form. What made it that for you? Well, this is, so they went from Second City Mm -hmm. to those other things. I don't think they did this, that stuff that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. This long form improvisation did not exist. So Mm -hmm. they weren't doing that. Um, they were, so the job, the only job in town at that time was second city, but this wasn't, you know, this was kind of maybe a good training ground for second city, but they didn't care where you came from. Most of the, no one on stage there had, you know, been a, a student of Dell's and they, you know, uh, when we were there. Um, cause Dell wasn't doing anything. So it wasn't, that wasn't the roadmap to, to a better thing, right? It was, I you think. only did it for this. It was a dead end. And so only people with no ambition were doing it. And, uh, which was great. That's exactly where I belong. So after that though, you know, well, how do you eat? Right. And so right. those aren't the same things. And so there's all those side jobs, including for me, one of the, one of the, you know, the side jobs is stand up. Right. You've seen the culture change a lot over the years because you've been in, in Chicago. And I knew someone who 
when she was living in Chicago, I guess sometime in the 90s, early to mid-90s, she took some improv classes. I don't know if it was at I.O. or at Second City, but she was saying how her and a friend just kind of took it because it was a thing to do, but the people, other people in the class were sort of you know, very serious-minded and sort of saw them as odd for not taking it more seriously and just kind of doing it as a one-off. No, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, people do it for different reasons, that's for sure. So you've seen the culture change a lot. I mean, of course, uh, back then there were a lot of people who were very focused on the art form, but now, especially in New York and L.A., people are looking for it to be some kind of stepping stone. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on how that has changed, maybe why it's even changed. Well, a few things. One thing is that the general population has recognized the merit in having some training in improvisation. Mm-hmm. Like, is legitimate theater schools teach improv now. They never used to do that. Mm-hmm. There used to be, it was just a waste of time. And um, so there's, there's the benefit of having had the experience um, viewed by other potential employers. So um, then you get people doing it for that. So it, cause it's gotta be on their resume, which is not the same as doing it because you want to do it. Whereas before you wouldn't put it on a resume. It didn't mean anything. Right. Um, so there's that. It has a value outside of itself, which can be, you know, manipulated. Um, so there's a bunch of different reasons for people doing it. Before it used to be people that were interested in improvisation. And then other people, most of it was something to do. Yeah. You know, it was like an adult continued education thing oftentimes, you know. Right. When we, when Sharna first start, started working with Dell. She had something called Improv Olympics, and it was, you know, theater games, and it was a group of plumbers mm-hmm. who, who versus a group of cops, you know, <laughs> um, and that's what it was. And it was with her and David Shepard. David Shepard believed that this, you know, improvisation should be, it's like a communist movement, like a, you know, theater of the people and open to everyone. So there's these other, mm-hmm. that's kind of where that part of it came from. Um so, n- yeah, now it's like, yeah, there's, you hear about people um, um, manipulating other people because they have some sort of position in improvisation. And it's just, it's comical to me yeah. that anyone in improvisation has any power at all. Because it, my experience was, it's, it's all useless. It's all, you know, it's, there's no value in any of it. We're only just doing it because we can't help ourselves. That's a really great thing to hear that we can't help ourselves. It's yeah, it's, and it's I, not this means to an end. It's it's it is what it is, and that's a that's the good thing, right? And there's still people doing that. I think I think there's still people that view it that way. Not as many. I mean, it used to be a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And I and it's definitely different in a place like New York, where there are industry people, or L.A. especially, where there are a bunch of industry yeah, people. And so- the Chicago, so it didn't used to exist outside of Chicago, mm-hmm. right? 
although I had, I, it depends on who's listening, but some people are going to say that the Herald did exist before Dell started working on it in Chicago in the mid eighties. And that's correct. It did exist at the committee in San Francisco and they, they used it out there as a means to develop material for their sketch review. They did not, and they did not generally use it as a performance piece. Although occasionally, I guess there was a couple of occasions that they did use it as a placeholder in their review show while they were preparing written material. So for the sticklers, I will give that caveat. <laughs> now, when you go from, let's go a little bit back to when you're still starting out. Um, how did you manage going from being kind of one of the new kids coming up to new improvisers looking up to you? Like you went from being a, a, a kid who was looking up to these other great people and now you're the one being looked up to. How did you manage that transition? Were you even aware of that? Probably not, but I think <laughs> the only way you do that is you keep doing it, right? Right. You don't, you don't, you're the, now there's people newer than you is the only thing. Right, and they right. they got to have somebody to look up to. Uh, <laughs> well, and, like, know, it's got to be tough. I mean, maybe tough isn't the right word, but I mean, you're, t you're people will say that you're on the Mount Rushmore of improv. And I've even heard uh, Ian Roberts, who's one of the co-founders of UCB, say that you and TJ are the two greatest improvisers in the world. So how does one <laughs> stay grounded? <laughs> how do you stay grounded when that sort of stuff is is out there? Uh, that's nice of him to say. It's it's better. It, I guess that's better than having him say we're the two shittiest improvisers <laughs> in the world. Um, but it it doesn't. You know, uh, that's very nice. I'm not. That's very nice of him. Like he knows anything. <laughs> um, uh, well, I the the truth is that every time you go out to do a show, people aren't thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't help me to believe that they're thinking that right. every time you go out to do a show is it uh you know like oh fuck we you know tj and i talk about it all the time you know it's a definite every single show is a definite opportunity to humiliate ourselves mm -hmm. um so we gotta you know we gotta you know do a good show this time yeah i've heard you speak to how one challenge for you is to not make anyone dislike improv because of your show. Yeah. And also in teaching. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. But right. We don't want to. So there was Bernie Salins ran second city. Mm -hmm. He founded it and he was the artistic director for a very long time. He was Dell's director. And then later after Dell was no longer performing there, he was a director there and he, they would, do the shows together and Bernie, you know, Dell would direct a show and then kind of, he kind of, I guess his history was he'd flake out a couple weeks before opening and Bernie would come in and finish it. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, Bernie never thought improvisation was worthy of a warranting a ticket price. So they, at second city, they do their review show and then at the end of the show, they would allow people to come in for free to watch the improvisation because that's what they val that's the value they placed on it. <laughs> this is free. 
Um, and the reason for it was to just develop material to put in the next review. That was they came they kind of stumbled across that. But that's how they viewed improvisation. It's a means to the end of a scripted sketch or a set sketch. Mm-hmm. And um he never thought that improvisation in itself is dependable enough or um, meaningful enough to be a real scene. And so he came and saw, after a while, he was a friend, and he came to see TJ and I one time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, you guys do all the things that I find lacking in improvisation. Oh, wow. You know, all the other stuff is what I don't like. You guys are doing the stuff I do like. I go, so that, so improvisation is, is, he goes, well, no, you guys can do it. It doesn't mean it can be done. (laughs) He's still, uh, I love that. You guys can do it. It doesn't mean it can be done. (laughs) That's, that is a hell of a statement. (laughs) Yeah. Who, Who are some of the performers who came after you, who blew you away? Well, I think that TJ is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and also there was a, you know, group that, uh, that group with Adam and, mm-hmm. uh, I think that was, Adam was after Tina, no, Adam was with Tina too, but, um, that was, they were great. I remember Mitch Rouse came after me and he's like, he can do characters. Um, there was this group called Jazz Freddy that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Tina and Rachel, Amy Sedaris and, and uh, that gang, Amy and Paul and Mitch and uh, Colbert, they were just great as a gang. Um, yeah. And you got to work with them a lot because you wrote for Exit 57 and also Strangers and Candy. Yep. And then I still work with uh, Amy and uh, on Amy Sedaris. Right, with her show. And I... Uh, I saw two TJ and Dave shows here in New York, and the one that I saw in 2017, and I am for some reason blanking on the name of that theater that it was at. The Barrow Street? Um, I guess it was. I saw I saw you at the Soho Playhouse, and then I guess the Barrow Street was would have been the first one that I saw. It's down in on in on the village of Christopher and yes. Seth. Yeah. And she was sitting in front of me. Amy Sedaris was sitting in front of me, and so I got to meet her. She's pretty great. She is great. And I have a postcard I got from her years ago sitting up in uh, my little office here that I record in because she's a big inspiration of mine. And so it was just – that was we were had been living in the city for nine days when we – nine or ten days when we <laughs> saw you. So uh, it was a very nice first – a couple of week activity to see you to perform for the first time and and meet her um so that was nice um this work that you ended up doing with them as a sketch writer how much sketch writing had you done before that because i'd always heard you talk so much about improv but in those early days i don't hear a lot of talk about sketch writing so how did you uh, parlay that well um at second city that's what you do Right. Um, and then we did four, I did four reviews at Second City and they're, you know, born out of improvisation. Um, but they're, you know, then you work on them. Um, you know, they, they start out as an improvised scene, but then you work on them and turn them into, you know, set sketches mm-hmm. and very f- few times do they not need work. 
So um, that was the experience from that. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure they uh, have great things to say about you. And actually, Paul was also at that show that I saw um, at Barrel Street. So they uh, they come out to support you, and uh, you support I get, them. You know, and uh, TJ and I talk about that. That these people come and they come back. Yeah. Um, is just it's a real thrill for us that people that we respect um, tend to. Uh, like this thing it's great yeah yeah i could tell they were, they were really into the show and you know, we're mentioning tj uh, so let's talk a little about tj and dave um there have been plenty that's been written and said you all wrote a book about your approach to improv so people can check out improvisation at the speed of life to uh, learn all about that and um uh, but i am curious because I know you did a show in June here, but um, there has been talk like online, people sort of speculate about uh, what's going on and that it's in some sort of soft retirement or something. Can you set the record straight, please, on where TJ and Dave is at now as a show? We just don't do any regular shows. We don't have, you know, we did that. We had a regular set show in Chicago for uh, 15 something years. Um, and we just don't do that anymore. We were somewhat regularly going to New York and we're not doing that anymore. Um, we just were, we had a rehearsal the other day and I think we're going to do some shows and coming up and in March. Um, in Chicago? Yeah. Great. That's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, you're working a lot. I mean, you spend spend a lot of your time, uh, not in Chicago. I no. do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially because you had uh, Lodge 49. Uh, Lodge for, 49. Yeah, man, for that, a couple of seasons. Uh, and that was down in Atlanta. Right. Yeah, sorry, uh, you know, that it did not find a new life, but Thank you know, it's you. got a couple of seasons out there for people to check out. It was an AMC show. Right, and it is uh, just yesterday, both seasons are now available on Hulu. Oh, excellent! So people can go and binge those right now. Yeah, it's uh, I, it's uh, I just gotta, I enjoyed that show. Yeah, I've heard you talk about it a lot, and I can tell how much uh, pride you take in that. And speaking of, you know, you're doing acting work. There's something that I, I really want to delve into with you because anyone I've seen perform who I thought had to have been studying acting since they were teenagers. They're just certain people that have a certain stage presence that sticks out to me. It's just a certain characteristic I can't necessarily uh, define. But I always say, oh, they've been acting since they were young. And you have that same quality that I can't quite define. But yet you have not been studying since you were in high school. You haven't taken any acting classes. You've you studied improv. Right. I studied. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, uh, it, I studied improv and uh, starting, as I said, the, not until I was almost out of college. I right. went to some uh, workshops at the Players Workshop of Second City, which is reopened. They had closed uh, for a few years, for a while. Mm. And they have just recently reopened under that name. And at the time, that was kind of the only series of classes that 
was available in Chicago. Second City, the only classes were once in a while, Dell would have a workshop on a Saturday um, or Don DePaulo would have a class on Saturdays. And that was it. They didn't have a school. They didn't have anything like that. So this was kind of a, a, a bit of a formalized school. And I went through that and it was five sessions. Um, and it was great. But yeah, I, went, I was in college at the time and I went back and finished my, you know, finished going to school and had thought nothing more of it really until I graduated from college and I was planning on going to law school and right. and then I took the LSATs and that changed my mind about that. <laughs> and then I, then I was uh, going to go to business school and I was accepted to go to Kellogg here at Northwestern. And that's when I just quit everything mm -hmm. and started goofing around right but this goofing around is uh, parlayed into a really great acting career because you have done work on veep and uh you've been in a lot of plays you're in glengarry glenn ross and playing roma and you're in angels and demons you've done a lot and you have this presence that i was talking about there's an intensity to it that really sticks out is that something that you developed over time or was that something that was sort of innately in you yeah i don't think it's anything that if it's there i don't think it's anything that i've intentionally done mm -hmm. and i do think that for me anyway when i see people one of the attractive things to me is they just seem like that's where they are this yeah. is all this is exactly what they're doing right here and now and and part of that is just a um like you said just being comfortable with anything that's going to happen and right. I find that compelling to watch. And, you know, when you even watching, you know, when you're at a play or watching improvisation, you see people come on and you can tell they're terrified. You're just right. like, ah, oh, fuck. Now I got to worry about you. <laughs> right, right. And you see it in plays, too. It's like, oh, Jesus, this person is <laughs> way over their head. And now now I'm now I'm not enjoying myself because I'm concerned for them. Right. Like, where is this going to go? Right. Whereas the other people, it's like, oh, good, we're in good hands. I can sit back and just, oh, we're all going to be well taken care right. of. Right, yeah. I mean, you get immersed in it when someone's like that. And that's what happens when I see you and, and TJ as well is also very good at this, where it just seems like you are real people who stepped into a world. Someone told me a, a story about going to see you and TJ perform, and there's a scene you did, and you did something really subtle. You, you were drinking from a bottle, and you put the bottle by your foot, and you were talking, and several minutes went by, like a good bit of time went by, and you're sitting there with this bottle next to you that you hadn't touched maybe in a while, and you get up and move, and you realize like your foot had to have just been where the bottle would have been, and you stopped what you were saying, stopped what you were doing. You turn around, you pick up the bottle and put it back down. Of course, for the listeners, this is an invisible bottle. You're improvising all of this. This is stage work. This is uh, this is uh, you know scene work that people do. That's sort of attention to detail. You have to be so immersed in that. And I'm trying to. I don't want to say crack the code, but like, how do you have such attention to detail? I think that's just you know the we were talking about earlier how the you know the civilians have realized that the, the benefit of improvisation and i do believe that the main benefit of improvisation because the main 
skill of improvisation is just paying attention. So it's great for actors. It's great for anyone mm-hmm. to pay closer attention to everything that's going on. And I can pay close attention, you know, 50 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I don't think anyone can, maybe they can't, that'd be great to be able to live, being able to pay that close attention to every single thing that's going on. Um, it's pretty, it's not easy, but I think the, another one of the things that you mentioned, you know, this being comfortable, I think all the people that I see who have that have just logged hours. Right. And I, I just think that, you know, you work at second city, you do eight shows a week. Um, you're logging a lot of, a lot of stage time and there's just, I think there's no better teacher than that being in front of people who are paying Mm-hmm. It's not the same as being in class. Being in front of people who are paying is uh, strangers. It's a different. It's a different thing. They're not going to let you off the hook. Whereas you know, people in class are going to be kind to you. Right. Like uh, no, they're they paid. They they expect. And in, in our day, they'd let you know. Right. They, they didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a at least even if they're not saying anything, you just feel the room. Uh, mm-hmm. When it's not going well, yeah, yeah. I want to myself, and I'm I'm actively trying to be more present and uh, a, a more a confident improviser. And I know, you know, like you were saying, paying attention is is very crucial. Active listening. Um, I also assume being vulnerable is uh, pretty important to that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's you know listening to or paying attention to those things too mm-hmm. right those things inside of you so i have to pay attention to that too oh that made me you know that hurt a little bit now i have to if i first of all i have to notice that this situation just kind of hurt me right so i have to be aware of that but then i like okay am i going to pretend that didn't happen <laughs> right like i would normally do in my real life cuz i don't want you to see that or am I going to find out, you know, let's find out. Right. Um, yeah, that takes a certain bravery. That's a bravery I, test. It does, but it's after a while, it's not, it doesn't take bravery because you've done it a few times uh-huh. and you survived. So, you know, the, the fear was, uh, uh, as, you know, Dell talks about follow the fear. It doesn't mean I shouldn't be afraid. Fear is a requirement f- to follow the fear. Mm. So I have to notice these fears and then, you know, head towards them. You mentioned, and I've heard you mention it before, and I've heard a lot of other people mention that stage time is the best teacher. And what should people be looking for when they are performing on stage so that they can get better on top of what we've already been saying? Because some of that, you know, just sort of noticing how we felt, that's some of it. But what are some of the other things that a performer should be looking for when they are on stage? Well, um, you mentioned in order to get better. That's a huge thing by itself. That's totally subjective to Mm. get better at what? Um, (laughs) If they want to get better at getting laughs, that's one thing. Okay. Okay. yeah. I don't consider that necessarily getting better as an improviser. Right. Um, and I think you also kind of have to be with your, with like-minded people who are interested in pursuing or heading towards 
the same kind of thing. You can't be, uh, not that there's anything wrong with any of these pursuits, but if someone's interested in just getting laughs and someone else is interested in doing, you know, super grounded character work, neither of those people are going to be able to provide what the other person needs. Right. There's going to be a disconnect. Right. And so they're, one person is going to be frustrated. <laughs> right. right. We, you know, let's try these things together because we have to be together. I can't do it alone. Right. Uh, so I need to find a group of people that are also interested in pursuing these same kinds of things. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's uh, really great advice. And also, you know, don't necessarily pay attention to what the audience thinks you should be doing because mm -hmm. they might not be there for the same reasons. You know, sometimes you go to shows and the audience just is laughing at everything because they want to be heard. It's not that you did anything funny. They just want, you know, it's like okay. I shouldn't, you know, you've, you've been to shows like that where people are being really <laughs> loud and like, oh, yeah, that. Like they're la they're the they made noise just so that everyone in the room knows that they're in on whatever the fuck you know, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I've heard people also talk about that in, uh, in like stand ups or I think Seth Meyers was talking about um, not wanting clapter, where people are <laughs> just sort of clapping to sort of acknowledge that they agree, right? And it's no fun, you know. Well, and that's another thing, the distinction between stand-up and, and improvisation. Yeah. Stand-up, the goal is to make that group of people laugh. Mm -hmm. That's the job. Mm -hmm. But with improvisation, or some kinds of it, it's not you know, it, it isn't the job. That's not the job. Right. And, you know, that, that leads us into something else that I think people talk about in, in maybe, I think, in a reductive way. Where they will say like, oh, yeah, so ASCAT at UCB is fast improv and TJ and Dave is slow improv. And it's like, well, I I really sincerely doubt TJ and Dave are thinking slowly and moving slowly. And they're like you're I just would imagine <laughs> that's a reductive way to describe you. You all. I mean, it, it is grounded work and you're not going for the laugh like yeah, certain other forms of improv. It moves. But. At certain points, it moves pretty quickly. That's why we named that book that. Impro yeah, um, that I was actually just, just about to say it's a perfect name. Not artificially fast nor slow. Right. And, you know, ASCAT is, those fuckers are really good and really funny, a lot of them. Yeah. It's just not the same kind of thing. There's so much different kind, different types of improvisation. Mm -hmm. Um and like musical improvisation, I, no way. I'm super. I'm, I'm really impressed by people who can do that well. It's not something I have the capacity for. I will never. It's not something I will get better at. Uh, not good enough to do it. Um, there, it's just remarkable. Yeah. What do you feel is a weakness of yours in improv? Shit I don't do anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, why, that's why I don't do it anymore. Yeah. What uh, are some examples of that? Singing, rhyming. Singing and rhyming will do it for me. That's just, <laughs> that strikes terror. Just talking about it, I'm fucking sweating. <laughs> uh, but even within the kind of improvisation that, that I 
tend to do. Um, I get, you know, what we, TJ and I talk about sometimes is um, just as a reminder, because we forget, you know, it's okay to, to bore them. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have to be entertaining, right? In that we don't have to do a fucking dog and pony show. Right. And I think that's always, you know, a, a there's a certain sense of, there's a response, a responsibility that, you know, a perceived responsibility, which isn't there that, that I think is good to forget. Um, also the main thing, all of the air, like when we do a show, we always go over it afterwards and always when there's a problem, it's because, uh, we weren't paying attention closely enough. So that's, if there's a weakness, it's not paying attention closely enough. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the gen, you know, it, it'll all fall under that. Right. I want to uh, slightly shift gears here. I want to talk about Tim Meadows because great. I love him. I grew up on him, and uh, I've heard a lot of improvisers talk about how great he is. Yeah. I've never had the pleasure of seeing him do improv. I I grew up on him because of SNL. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that he sat in um, with to, to do uh, TJ and Dave before. He did. Um, just the two of us one night in up at the old place in Chicago, and the power went out. We did a show by candlelight. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, I bet that was an amazing show. It I was, was real fun. I was going to ask how the show, how does the show change when someone like Tim Meadows is sitting in? Uh, but I imagine that that particular show changed a lot of ways since the power went out. Yeah. Um, uh, they change, you know, it's different working with different people. I've been right. doing shows with, uh, Michael Shannon recently and it's, oh man, yeah, it's wonderful. We have a great time. That's um, another an in- intense, uh, presence on stage. Yeah. And that's one of those guys that you just, you walk, you see him walk on stage and he's like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, we're, we're all going to be fine. Yeah. He's wonderful. So, well, Tim and I have a, we have this long history. We did, mm-hmm. we worked at he was just after me at Improv Olympic. Mm-hmm. So we worked together there. And then we were on stage together at Second City for three reviews. Oh, wow. So we did a lot of improvisation together. And um, and not long, I guess it was about a year ago now, that uh, we were on stage at some benefit. And we just did a scene together. We hadn't improvised together in a really long time. We just did this one scene together for, oh. I don't know, about five-minute scene. It was like... It was like no time had passed. It was just wonderful. I, oh, yeah. that's great. I we actually talked about doing longer stuff, but we're not in the same cities ever. Uh, I yeah. Would, I would love to. He's just he's wonderful. He really is, and I and I just want him and, to get more credit than he can. as a uh, as uh, his ease and um, with improvisation is just all so. Um, look, it just looks easy. You know, being near him is easy. It's, uh, he makes it real, real nice. Oh gosh. I've got to find a way to see you two do improv. Great. I would like that too. Yeah. Who else has sat in as I imagine Joel, Joel and I have done a show. Yes. Uh, we did a show out (laughs) 
<laughs> we did a show that was basically the same kind of thing. It wasn't actually a TJ and Dave show, but we had a we had a ball. So Joel and I have uh, this long history, and right. he we have a weird way of communicating on stage that doesn't kind of make sense, you know, to a lot of people. As do TJ and I, but Joel and I had 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 this history, so it, there was some reason for it. TJ and I, there's no reason for it. You right. know, we didn't know each other when we started working together. Um, yeah, that's Joel, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a very unique, and um, I guess you feel really lucky to have that uh, to have yes. these three people at least. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are more, but people you have this history with, and it feels like you've known them forever, and you have the variety of someone you didn't know, but you still have that same sort of kinship with. Yeah, it was it was odd from the very beginning. Like uh, this is this is unusual. We both kind of noticed it. Oh gosh, yeah, that's great. And you two, you and and TJ, uh, did have a spell running the Mission Theater. Yes. And how long did you were you two running? Was it one year? One year. We had we put up two sketch reviews, mm-hmm. and um, we did you know the a ridiculous business model, which is no classes, no bar, and pay our actors. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, that that didn't that didn't work. We had a fantastic cast for mm-hmm. our uh, two sketch reviews, um, and we also had a house uh, team that improvised, and they were excellent as well. Um, and we're and Jamie Swice would come in and do songs and tell stories. We're really proud of all the material that went up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just had a hard time getting people in the seats. Right, which is always a struggle um, anywhere. And for being artistic directors, I mean, you you taught a fair amount before that, correct? I have, yeah. I used to teach back with uh, Del and Sharna. Um, okay. I used to teach back then. And then TJ and I have done a, a fair number of workshops together. Do you teach still? I do not. Um, and like... We were talking about earlier. I, I don't. You just don't really have want, the time. N- well, not just. I don't want to turn anybody off from improvisation. I don't want to, you know, you know, have somebody be shitty to somebody and have them not want to return to improvisation because I was a shithead, and I'm. <laughs> that's going to happen. I'm going to be a shithead in class. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because I have only patience. Up. I don't have a lot of patience. Ah, uh, and <laughs> patience. I'm not a good teacher. I'm just, okay. I'm, yeah. That, that sort that, of reminds me of uh, why Michael Jordan has said he won't ever coach is because he doesn't have the patience. So yeah. you're like Michael Jordan. You, uh, you are the two Michael Jordans of Chicago. So many ways. <laughs> I cut my thumb. but back to the mission theater i brought uh, up the teaching because i was wondering how you leaned on your time as a teacher uh and your artistic direction um like did you utilize any of the same skills there for that well no because our the the notion of artistic director for us was just directing the sketch shows i see anything else anything else that came in we left alone. Um, but, uh, the two sketch shows we co-directed and, uh, you know, 
I say TJ did more than I on that uh, end of it. But we had fantastic improvisers. We right. hired, we, you know, the people who showed up, just the people who showed up at the auditions were, we had our pick of so many great improvisers. Um, and they, Chicago's full of great improvisers. Yeah. So we, and they're not allowed to, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities for them to do this kind of stuff, which is kind of weird, just um, organic improvisation. And then these scenes that came out of it, you know, we'd, we'd improvise for a couple days and then go back over and see what are any of these scenes. We like any of those scenes and some of them would get built on and they'd be decided on by also people that weren't in them. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I want to see more of that. And we'd, we'd start to explore them, explore them. Some of them would go away then. And the ones that we ended up with were stuff that people were interested in doing and we all enjoyed. And so then we were pretty confident that then the audience would enjoy them also. And so we would just work on them as little scenes by themselves. And then the, the artistic director part is organizing. The, that's just the director part. And then, then organizing them in a running order that makes sense is, but we all, TJ and I both had that experience at second city. It was exactly mm -hmm. the, Mm -hmm. skills that we at least observed if we didn't you know we were participants and right. you, even if we weren't yeah. the ones calling the shots we watched what was happening right uh, and second city was great they you know they would come over and watch our stuff and it was uh we're really proud of the shows that they put up they were fantastic you mentioned that the business model was you know different uh is there anything you would do differently it sounds like it's something you take a lot of pride in it is. I wouldn't. No, we wouldn't do anything differently. I don't think we'd. You know, I guess have a fatter bankroll to be able mm -hmm. to do more promotion, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. like advertising and promotion. I think that would that would do it because the people that did come to the show really enjoyed it. Just hardly any people came to the show. And the thing is, with improvisation, we can do a show a week, and we can have half the house will be the exact same house. Right. But a sketch review, they come once, and that's it. Right. And we're trying to do a show, you know, five shows a week. That's a lot of people. You need a thousand people every week to come see your show, mm -hmm. and can't, can't, uh, can't do it. Yeah, it's definitely the challenge. I'm sure a lot of theater owners are, are who are listening to this are are res it's that's got to be what's resonating with them. Yeah, I know. Then, then you know, the improv theater model is exactly upside down from that. Mm -hmm. Don't pay your performers um have a bar and charge them for class too so there's almost zero going out mm -hmm. it's i've heard people say that's how they keep their theater open is with the school and the bar yep that's it right. yeah as we mentioned earlier you did a lot of you've done acting work and i'm curious what lessons from improv and things you've learned in improv you have brought into your acting work because you know as i said you you have a the presence on stage but you're also dissecting scripts and and analyzing scripts uh, what sort of things did you utilize from your improv studies for your acting career well i think it's just that so with improvisation you're on the fly determining okay what do i know how how 
how much do I know? What what can I know? What can I know right now? What can I know right now? Who am I to that person? What can I know right now? And, um, but you have to do it on the fly. Whereas with, I think with scripted material, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's kind of information gathering through the script. Now, when on stage, it's through the other person. Mm. But in the, the, with scripted material, it's through the text. Well, well how, who am I? Well, this person said this about, that's their reaction about me in a scene that I'm not in. Okay. So I guess that happened. Then I have to, you know, um, and with improvisation, how can I behave honestly in this moment, given everything we know up until now? And so I can't be inconsistent with anything that's already been established. And it's the same thing with scripted stuff. I can't be inconsistent with anything that's been established. So how is it that rather than just saying, oh, my character wouldn't say that. Yeah. Yeah. Your character says that it's on page seven it has your character name on it and it has it saying that. So actually your character does say that. Uh, how can I, in my mind, figure out how this person can say that and be the same person that said this other thing. So that's, that's such great advice. It's really eye opening, and I appreciate you sharing it. One thing I've heard you talk about is, and people talk about with you, is that you tend to play in in shows or movies. You tend to play characters who are jerks, and you huh. have even asked to play the sort of jerky characters. Um, or, or at least one, I, I can't remember the exact piece it was. It was a, a, something you um, worked on with a friend and you'd read the script and he wanted you for a different part, but you wanted to play this sort of jerk character uh, because they're more fun. I've heard a lot of people say that playing like the bad guy or, or playing jerks is more fun. But the thing that I've always heard about you as a person is that you're a good guy, you're real nice. So what is the... Uh, and- first of all... The people you've heard that from, you should not believe. <laughs> oh, well, you, you have shown a lot of, uh, I think, respectfulness in such a way that I think it it, it has to be coming from a principled person. Hmm. But, you know, you, you do keep saying things like you don't have patience and you would definitely be a jerk to students or something. You know, so... <laughs> I don't know, you know. You also tell me not to believe those people, but you've, you've been nice to me. Well. <laughs> Why do you like playing the jerks? Is it simply because they are just a lot of times more fun? And what is more fun about playing them? Um, I don't even know that it's m- uh, more fun. It's um, I often get hired to play shitty people, and I'm fine with that. I, I, I like I, I don't know. I, I, I like it. Um, I like playing nice people too. Oh, good. Just, like uh, <laughs> I just I, I don't know that I, I like play. I guess it's just people that I um, identify with, and I, I certainly identify with with shitheads. I also <laughs> identify with like like this guy on Lodge Forty Nine. Blaze is just this this idealist. He couldn't have been sweeter. Uh, I don't know. I like, I'll play anything. I got to tell you. Yeah. What what do you have coming up? Do you have any acting roles coming up that you're allowed to mention? I'm not allowed to mention them because they don't exist. (laughs) Yeah. Veep just ended. 
So your role in that is, uh, you know, unless they do a spinoff of just your character. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, we have now reached the end of the episode. Now it's time to create something together. And uh, we have talked about a, a few different things that could lead to what we create together. I think, obviously, doing an improv scene is good. But one thing that I would really like to learn from you is sort of the thought process you take in improv scenes, like when it starts and during it and, and um, you know, when it is reaching the end of the scene. What what is going through your mind? Is that something that we could talk through? Is there another idea that you came to you that you would, you think would be more fun to do? No, that's, that's fine. But the one thing is, is I'm not, um, I'm not as, uh, it's been a while since I've just done a, a you know, basically, you know, a, a, a improv scene. Mm-hmm. We do these. Right. Cause you're doing almost hour long shows. Right. When you do them. So um, I don't know that I, although I don't know that it's that, I'm, I'm thinking about it now, I'm just talking, thinking out loud, is I don't know that it's a lot different, my approach, because with, say, in a Herald or something, I, you're just continuing on until someone else ends it. <laughs> right. Um, so the the approach, I think, should be about the same. And the approach is really boring (laughs) respond honestly in this moment given everything that we know up until this point right and you have your show with tj one of the things i think amazes people so much is it doesn't take a suggestion and yet it already feels so lived in at the beginning and it's because you are picking up on each other's vibe right and by and simply by paying attention right not not manufacturing that like i guess there there's the the one notion oh what could i make this is one approach the other another another approach is what is this already and you can find out what this is already just by looking around picking up all the cues hi someone who's looking at me in that way tells me who i am to them right Right there, they don't seem frightened by me at all. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. They seem like they're in charge. They think they're in charge. Okay, seems like I'm in trouble. Okay, <laughs> and we don't have to know more than that. We don't have to label it, you know, principal student. We don't have to, you know, because maybe it's parent child or maybe it's child parent. You know, mm-hmm. the kids. The parent is in trouble for some reason. I don't. Uh, yeah. So we don't know any of that stuff because those things don't matter. The labels don't matter, but the the relationship is all that matters. I think. So um, yeah. I th- think the approach is to constantly be trying to determine what is this, who am I to them, and what is this thing that I'm in right now. Yeah, I think you know one thing that people maybe get wrong when they hear. What you're saying is they'll, like, if I hear, if I'm in a class or some workshop and someone gets a side note of, like, who are you to each other? What's your relationship? They they seem to jump right into uh, just saying, like, well, brother, you're my brother, brother. You know, they just, like, it's something that ends up being so unrealistic. 
Um, don't you usually? Don't you usually? And that's how talk to your brother like that. That's exactly how I call him, and I say, "Hey, brother, it's your hey, brother, bro- brother." No, you're, um, my, you're my brother. <laughs> and it's something. I think the thing that the person giving the note is trying to say is what you're saying, which is, it's it's not the label so much as what is the dynamic between the two, right? And be more true to that. Yeah, it's it, it isn't the label, and then be, there's that confusion that the label gives us any information. Oh, it doesn't give us any information. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Not that we need, you know. No. Um, it gives us some facts, and mm-hmm. and I think facts are the um, enemy of improvisation. Right. So if you were coaching me, and I'm I step out into a scene that someone else has uh, initiated, already begun. Your advice, if you could sort of speak in my ear or in my head and say, like, hey, here's what to do, uh, it would be to pick up on how that person is is with me, just how they're looking at me, how it feels. Yes. And right. And one of the things I think that's overlooked easily is there's a clue in what you just said. Mm-hmm. They have to be looking at you. Mm. Um, and there's no scene you know, this isn't a play. Um, so you can't have people gazing out and looking off because that that's unhelpful to everyone. Right. Uh, I need everything from you. Every, you have all the information about me. So the notion that the other person is the most important person in the world is not altruistic. It's self-preservation. Mm. They have everything I need. I need to be. I need to be wholly focused on them, um, in order to survive. Right. And so, as that scene progresses, it's still that same sort of approach of let me pay attention to them. Let me pick up on how they are with me, and also use the information I have already gathered. Correct. Yep. You're just, yeah. I don't think it ever changes. Right. Right. And when it comes to Using that, I mean, you know, you see so many great performers who uh, have been able to spin those sort of details that they've gathered into uh, gold. You know, I don't know how some how people do it. Sometimes they have this really great, funny line or something so poignant that they said or did, or or the moves that some people make sometimes to sort of connect a lot of dots. What goes through your mind when you start using that information? Is it just being definitive and saying like, well, it, I feel like I'm this person's parent and they're upset with me. And so you just define yeah, and then that? You, you just, I don't have any reason to believe that's not true. You've done nothing to believe, to lead me to believe that it's not true that um, I'm the parent or however it works. Um, and so I'll just go ahead and yes, I'm right. Mm-hmm. So, because otherwise there's a lot of dancing around. Am I the parent? Are you the parent? Are we, let's, let's send out these little bits of information to see if I'm, if that's right. And then you'll respond by saying, Oh, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. Okay. Let's say that that's right. And no one behaves that way. Right. I, I never walk into a living room and go, I wonder if this is the living room. <laughs> is this is this our living room? You ne- you just walk into it like it's a fucking living room. It doesn't matter, right? Um, and so I think there's part of that. There's a certain I have 
yes, I'm right. I don't have to wonder if I'm right. There's, there's no, yeah, I'm, and if I'm right about the, like, I, I may not be right about you're my little sister of 13 years. You know, you've got, thir- you're 13 years old. I may be wrong about that, but I'm not wrong about, oh, I have a certain responsibility towards you and a kinship towards you. And you seem to be my right. uh, ward. Right. There's nothing wrong about that. This, I, I got to not worry about the specifics. Like, mm-hmm. so trying to label things, brother, 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 that's, <laughs> that's not helpful. Not only is it, it's harmful because it keeps me away from the things that really I should be worried about, which aren't facts. Right. One thing that I want to say about the preparation for that is to be able to walk out. I have to be pretty empty. So mm. which different than doing, you know, sometimes when you're doing group improvisation, you, you thought of a, something during the day. It's like, oh, that'd be a good start for a scene. You know, uh, a guy picking up a, a, a candy wrapper, you know, that'd be a good start to a scene. So you walk out with something. It's in this kind of thing. That's not helpful. Mm-hmm. What's it's helpful to walk out with. I am going to expand. I'm an explorer, right? Mm-hmm. I have that in my mind. And that's it. I'm an explorer. So anything that I'm given, or maybe that means I'm going to try to go on voyages. Maybe it means that. Or it means I'm going to try to figure out uh, the littlest thing that someone presents me. I'm going to explore this thing to its fullest extent. I, so if I walk out with that, Sometimes when you go out into a scene, someone is pounding a nail into the floor Mm -hmm. and the other person isn't looking at them and they are setting up a campfire, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Clearly indoors. One person's clearly outdoors because they didn't look at each other, right? Right. Those are now the rest of the scene is going to be explaining in a wacky way (laughs) why these things aren't fucked up. So if I walk out with those are, again, just kind of set facts those aren't helpful right i walk out as an explorer and you walk out as a wounded child those things are going to work fine right and it's and we're going to pick up on that when we're watching each other Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. how does humor because i know that you're not going for for laughs but the shows are funny um and they they're more than just funny but humor is a part of it how does humor get weaved into this for you well i think it's going to be there or not mm-hmm. depending on the people playing mm-hmm. and a lot of the times the humor isn't those aren't funny things right or what the when the audience laughs those aren't funny things oh and then his shoe his, his shoelace broke <laughs> when you're telling somebody later it's those aren't funny things yeah they're, and they can be hilarious in that, given everything that's led up to that. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that usually someone else is editing a scene, and for TJ and Dave, the show ends when someone pulls the lights. But during the show, you do uh, transition to, uh, oftentimes transition to other scenes or other, other locations. So when a scene is coming to an end, what is it you're looking for? to sort of tie it in a bow or at least to uh, uh, let it come to completion so that you can 
move forward fluidly? Again, it's not really the same kind of thing that that I think most people are used to because we're not really looking at it like that. Right. It's just as, what feels as, right for you. Yeah. As we're going along, it's like, oh, there, somebody would have been here <laughs> by now, right? Mm-hmm. And so you go be that person who's there. Um, or just it dawns on you that those people that left or those people that we were talking about are somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let's go there. But also it's not like to get away from quiet here. So it's a weird thing. It's, it's you know, it's a weird, it's a, I don't know how to describe it, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, Dell used to talk about the job of the improvisers to put one eye in the back of the theater. Mm-hmm. So the, the job of paying attention that we said was so hard mm-hmm. is even harder <laughs> um, because I have to be paying attention to you with all my might. Right. I also have to pay attention to what I'm doing because uh-huh. I, I need to know what information you've gotten from me. Right. I also need to know that that bottle is next to my chair. Right. I'm, I'm responsible for that. And as well, I need to be in the back of the room watching this whole thing. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's a tall order. It is. <laughs> because the audience has that view. I should not be I should not have an inferior perspective of the audience. But in fact, I do. So I have to work really hard at being able to see from the back of the room also, because that's what they get to see. They're seeing the whole thing. Right. And once the set or show is over, how would I not beat myself up about how it went? <laughs> what, what advice can you give to people who, who are too hard on themselves about how a show went? Well, if you find out, you let me know. <laughs> well, there it is. You're one of my favorite improvisers. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, gosh. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Oh, gosh. I appreciate him. The truth is, he's my favorite improviser, but I felt weird saying that directly to him. It was great to learn from him. I hope you did, too. Buy TJ and Dave's book, Improvisation at the Speed of Life, on Amazon, and check out their Vimeo series, which is a few of their live shows. Speaking of, they are doing a couple of shows, March 11th and 12th, at the Mission Theater at I.O. in Chicago. Also, subscribe to our newsletter. It's like self-help for comedians. It offers tips from experts on comedy, health, life, and more. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at their it is pod links in bio for all that we have some amazing guests coming up so subscribe to the podcast on apple podcasts or sitcher and please leave a review until next time be good to each other the music for the theme song was created by neil brooks the rap was written and performed by nick acevedo the logo for there it is was created by jeff prater the there it is podcast is produced by jason farr